You're listening to the Halcyon podcast with Adam and Rob. And you have to say, that's magnificent. Hello and welcome to the Halcyon podcast, a podcast that at times relates to the books of Halcyon publishing, at times relates to football more generally, and at times relates to absolutely none of those things at all. But we're in luck today as this episode relates very firmly to the former. We'll be discussing another sensational chapter and celebrating another sensational upset from our World Cup anthology Against All Odds. And to do that, joining me as ever is a man who needs no introduction. And joining us is sports writer and author Simon Hart, whose books include Here We Go, Everton in the 1980s, and perhaps more applicably to this chat, The Fabulous World in Motion, The Inside Story of Italian 90. Uh, Simon's chapter in Against All Odds tells the incredible tale of Cameron's victory over Diego Maradona's Argentina in Milan in the opening game of the 1990 World Cup. So, welcome on the podcast, Simon. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Good, pleasure. And hello, problem, it's all a pleasure. Hello. Yeah, all right. Happy New Year. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you, yes. mate. Yeah. Good. Uh, now, we're here to talk about Cameron Argentina in 1990 in particular, but let's set the scene a little bit down if we can because this is arguably one of the most compelling world cups of them all um and i I was trying to work out why before i don't know if it's the benefit of history and hindsight or just mine and adam's advancing years or whatever it is but as i said to you before it spawned two seminal football titles yours and pete davies um and in the lead up to the qatar world cup there was a documentary on sky with the strap line four weeks that changed the world so just a nice, easy loosener to start with. Is, is it even possible to describe why this is such an important World Cup, do you think? Well, I'll do my best. Nice, easy question to begin with. <laughs> yeah, um, right. It's just nice, yeah. nice and narrow <laughs> field <laughs> for you. Um, I think because of the the political changes that were taking place, just to begin with, in Europe at that point, um, with the, the Iron Curtain coming down, that in itself made it such an interesting time. Um, in terms of the some of those teams involved who would never again play at the World Cup in you know in 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 that uh, in those countries as they were and you could look at the list USSR Yugoslavia I mean there was a you know a subsequent Yugoslavian team at the World Cup but it didn't contain you know some of those Balkan republics which subsequently you know split up Czechoslovakia West Germany, of course, because German unification took place later that year. So, I mean, if you speak to players from that time, you know, so much is going on in their lives off the pitch. Mm. The 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 wall coming down meant those players would were suddenly able to go to Western Europe. So everything changed for them. Even the USSR had a sponsor for the first time, you know, that World Cup, and suddenly there were those typical, you know, pre-tournament talks discussions about money, uh, which would have never happened yeah. previously to, to any USSR sides. Um, so that's just Europe. Um, I think the fact that big football, um, if you want to call it, that was around the corner with you know, the sa- satellite um, the satellite age of football, the Champions mm. League was about to come. And suddenly I think football became more internationalised and more homogenised from that point onwards. So again, were you watching these players who you know, knew so little about um, you would get at home. We still had so little football, and the, I think this was the last World Cup, at least for people of our age, growing up in Britain, where you you'd only get ten or eleven or twelve live games a year on TV. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. and then the FA Cup final was still the day. 
Yeah. And by the time USA 94 came around, you know, we, we'd had two years of the Premier League and we, 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 we were used to a bit more of that saturation. So that made, you could argue, the Italian 90, the last of the, the sort of the Christmas morning feeling World Cups where, you know, you know, bloody hell, football every day for a month, whereas now we have football. <laughs> that happens every day now. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing, I think, was the rule changes, which which took place subsequent to Italia 90. Um, you know, it was a low-scoring World Cup. Just before Italia 90, you know, Sepp Blatter had asked the referees to um, to issue red cards for, um, for de- denying of a, a goal-scoring opportunity. And he felt only a third of the referees in the World Cup in Italy had, had carried out that instruction, possibly right. because it came, you know, in defence of the referees, it came quite late in the day. And you're asking people to change the way they'd refereed all their lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, the the wheels were set in motion, to, I guess, to protect attacking footballers, playmakers, creative players. And, you know, that became a law of the game very soon after then the offside law changed and the back pass changed, you know, two years yeah. after, after yeah. Italian 90 and the game we'll talk about, you know, Cameroon, um, Argentina, just one little illustration of that when I think there was something like 12 back passes to Ancona, the Cameroon goalie in the first half mm. alone, something mm. mad like that. Um, so I think those factors I mentioned, the, the, political landscape changing the football was about to become this product for satellite telly and of course the, the rules of the game which which changed on the back of italian 90 i, I mean i'll stop there because that's just the first question out of the way <laughs> i just wanted to know that so it says early on in your chapter simon that you think well you say it's the biggest upset any world cup opening match has ever delivered um, and actually, there's only probably one that I can think of that would match it, and it would be Senegal beating France in 2002. Um, why do you think that this is bigger than the other? Is it is this the first explosion of an opening game that, wow, right, we're in for some upsets here, we're in for a bit of a wild ride? Is that Was that your thinking behind that? Um, I think, A, because this is... Diego Maradona's Argentina, that yeah. the that the holders, and B, and probably even more significantly, this is a team from Sub-Saharan Africa, um, yeah, and yeah. no team from Sub-Saharan Africa had even won a World Cup match up to this point. Yeah. So for Cameroon to to go out there at the San Siro and beat Argentina was just you know astonishing. Yeah, and do you think? So, obviously, you've had a lot of access to people that played in this game, that were in and around the squad. A lot of, you know, the big the big names that were involved. Is it is the game itself and the tournament in general still a living, breathing thing in Cameroon, would you say? Is there a bit of a mythology behind it? How does it centre in, in Cameroonian football, per se? I went to the National Museum in, in Yaoundé, um, when I was researching my, my book, World in Motion, and um, a photograph of, of Roman Birk's goal that day is, is on the wall of the museum, mm-hmm. um, along with, of course, maybe two or three other photographs of that World Cup. So, you know, it, it is one of, you could say it's arguably the greatest World Cup moment still. Yeah. I mean, they've only won two World Cup games this century. Um, there was a real feeling speaking to players from that era that 
they never really built on what they achieved in Italy. Um, so I'd say that those World Cup wins in 90 were their greatest moment, their finest hours of football nation still. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do, what do you think they put that down to? Because it, it's a kind of an amazing springboard to look at objectively. And not just that game, but the run throughout the whole tournament that yeah. has obviously made heroes of all of them. But I mean, you address it all briefly at the end of the chapter, but did, is there a sense of regret they didn't make more of it, do you think? Or is it just part of the, just the nature of how the football operations run in the country? Well, I think there's a deep frustration that because of the way football works in the country, but not just football, you could say, I guess other institutions work in the country, that um, football wasn't able to to build on that because just because of the way that um, people want to take advantage. And I mean, the person who helped me with those interviews when I went to Cameroon um, in 2017, he just said that, it, that World Cup showed people that they could make money out of football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's incredible to think that when they went to the the next World Cup in USA 94, there was some kind of public appeal um, called Operation Coup de Coeur um, or something like that, um, which was asking people to to raise money to, to, to give to the national team. And something like a million dollars or something was raised and... and Wow. went missing um wow. just something absurd like that so we we're so used to those stories of you know african players having arguments before a world cup with officials and and you know threatening not to play and so on and, and disruptions to their preparations and that hasn't really gone away i mean thomas encounter who was the goalie in 1990 he was their goalie coach in 2002 and they were sat at the airport in, in charles de gaulle in paris waiting to take off for the world cup in Korea, Japan, and I think they were sat on that plane for hours while players were trying to make sure that they received money from officials. Wow. And um, you know, even researching this chapter, I spoke to some a couple of people involved in Cameroon football today. And when they hosted the Afcon last year, you know, mm. a lot of money was made available for stadiums, and you know, belatedly facilities have improved thanks to the Afcon, but. Um, I was told that forty percent of the five point five billion made available for infrastructure went missing. Um, this came from official, an official working with the Cameroon FA. So, sadly, you know, it's not hard to find reasons why Cameroon yeah. couldn't build on that. And and Jules Anana, who was really interesting and helpful when I spoke to him for this chapter, mm-hmm. you know, he just gave me that that wonderful well i say wonderful because for us it's it, it seems to encapsulate the yeah the problem that example of how they were all promised a villa after mm. italia 90 and you know president paul beer who had them all in his um in his home in yonde after when they got back from italy you know every player he was given the promise of a villa but so many hangers on made the same request. I think they got nearly 50 requests. So the government just said, hang on a minute, it's one thing giving 22 players a villa, but who are all these other people? So nothing was done. And then only 30 years later, in 2020, did the players who actually warranted something, you know, get what they, they'd been promised all those years ago, which just seems to, to capture the, sadly, the way, the way things happen. And did, did you find, is there, a sense of what might have been with those players that were involved in that in 
in terms of that tournament itself, as in we could have won this? Is that ever a discussion that you've had with people? Or even if it's just got through, beaten England, got to the semis and seen where we end up? Is there a sense of regret? Have you ever found that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Roger Miller is not a man who um, lacks self-confidence, you mm. could say. Uh, <laughs> and you could say that's that's well justified given all he yeah. achieved in football. Um, you know, African football of the year once and, and the, you know, one of the the heroes of that campaign. You know, he he just felt that they they should have just given the ball to him and he'd have kept hold of it rather than trying to win the 2-1 up against England trying to get more goals. Um, and, you know, I think he, he, Oman Biak was, was was just clean through in front, in front of Peter Shilton when they were 2-1 up and tried to backheel the ball past him. You know, a couple of players mentioned that to me, you know, yeah. as if to say, why didn't you just bloody <laughs> smash the ball? Um, but, um, yeah, no, they felt that they they lacked, they should have been more, how do you say, um, experience is a word, um, yeah. clinical. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, they, they they had four players suspended that day and um, mm. two of the players suspended were, were the centre-backs in that team yeah, who had speed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you think about the winning goal, Lineker's put clean through, you know, between the two slower centre-backs, Massing and um, Kunde, and gets brought down. Um, so, I mean, this was, again, Jules and Anna's point that without himself and Victor Endip, who were suspended, two of the four players, they they were undone in that in that yeah. slow sort of central defence. So, yeah, hugely, hugely regretful. They didn't... At the time, you know, they did a lap of honour of the pitch after England beat them three two. But then I think these players now realise, you know, we we were so close, we yeah, we, we could have done more. Yeah. Uh, but then like that happens a lot in life, doesn't it? It's only afterwards that you realise. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, if you are enticed by that game and Simon's previous writings, which I'm sure you will be, there's that and twelve twelve other chapters from 12 of the best writers in football. So do buy a copy of Against All Odds, um, which was out of date by the third day of the last World Cup that Simon was at. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we'll skip by that. There'll probably be a revised version at some point. But uh, Simon, it's been a real pleasure having you on, so thank you. No, thank you. And it's been great talking football with you both. Yeah, and just uh, uh, when it's funny, I thought about Cameroon when I was at the... um, I was at a couple of the Morocco games and after they got through the group stage, I, it, I was so impressed to hear their coach talking about winning the World Cup. Brilliant. You know, saying, you know, we're not going to stop here. And it just shows you what you can, What I know it takes more than an attitude, but sometimes, you know, when a team is in a moment mm. and there's that belief and a conviction of wanting more, which take, which made me think of Cameroon and, and that sense of regret. But anyhow, I'm sure people hopefully will read more about it in the chapter. Absolutely. Sure well, thank you. And uh, yeah, we will be back soon. Thanks for listening all. Bye for now.